Hey, 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 you're watching or perhaps listening to or perhaps have it on YouTube and are doing the dishes while it's on to talk Gnosis. Uh, maybe you're paying favorite... attention and maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're drifting off. Maybe you're putting it on to go to sleep to. We have gotten lots maybe of feedback. Maybe it's subliminal influences. That's right. Exactly. It's going right into your unconscious. But this is the web's <laughs> premier talk show about Gnosticism, the esoteric, mythology, magic, the occult, hypnotism, <laughs> Carl Jung, uh, marketing, storytelling. Weird uh, stuff. Weird stuff. High weird weirdness. People, cool Low weirdness. people. Yes, high in between and low weirdness. Uh, I'm one of your many hosts, Deacon Jonathan Stewart. Join with me as our primary number one host, Bishop Lady Peterson. Hello, Bishop. I'm number one. Uh, how are you doing, Deacon? Pretty good. I'm. Uh, that, for our loyal listeners and watchers, uh, they know that I was on a secret mission to the east coast of Canada to find lost tribes of Gnostics. I didn't find any, but now I'm back in Montreal and uh, very excited to be presenting tonight's host. Uh, tonight's host. Oh goodness. Okay, uh... everybody. It's been it's been a long for me thirty eight years, you know, and it's it's starting to weigh on me. It's been a very this long twenty twenty. Uh, oh man, it's, it's yeah. still April, right? Talking about it still being April. <laughs> Our guest is Patrick Patch Drury. We originally had him on, I'm going to raise up the curtain here, way back, uh, closer to the beginning of this horrible year, 2020. Uh, that show was lost, but it happened for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes it's bad reasons, but there's always a reason. And uh, Patrick has changed his focus a little bit. But Patrick is uh, a writer. He's a storyteller. He's a hypnotist. He's a marketer. He's a podcaster. He's a cool guy on the internet. He's a former actor. He's so many things. Patch, I'll stop doing the intro for you. Say hi. Tell us what you're all about. Hello. I, I'm so glad you started this by kind of explaining how the sausage is made and that we uh, recorded an episode that's gone because I was like, okay, don't mention the first episode. Don't mention the first episode. I, I was afraid that I would do that and I would um, ruin the, the mystique somehow. So the illusion. yeah, I'm, I'm glad you got that out of the way. <laughs> but uh, but uh, my name is Patch, Patch Drury. My, my, my given name is Patrick Drury. But um, my, my first wife, um, her family used Patch as a nickname for Patrick, and I liked it because it made me sound like a longshoreman or a soldier of fortune. So I kept it as literally the only thing I kept from my first marriage. <laughs> um, I'm a board-certified uh, clinical hypnotherapist. Uh, as, as you mentioned, I, I've, I've been a lot of things before this, before that. Uh, as a professional actor for a while, uh, an award-winning columnist. I, I did a short stint as a cartoonist um, and uh, was a story specialist for a while. I still consider myself a story specialist. But I, I bring that up to say all the things that I've done, all the things that I've been involved with have all revolved around storytelling, whether it's telling my story or other people's stories. Yeah. So... 
your content used to be more around this focus on, on storytelling. And people who are at home and don't know, you're like, what does this have to do with the esoteric? But they're going to find out pretty soon. And also how it connects to hypnosis and everything else. Yes, but, yes. So you have you have made this pivot. It's actually good that we lost that first show because we, st we talked a lot about storytelling on that show. We're going to talk about it again. But as you said, you are now a board-certified hypnosis. So now you're talking a lot about consciousness. You're talking about the subconsciousness you're working as a hypnotist why this pivot uh, thank you for asking and and what i i, I assume that question is going to come from people who, who are looking at my my feeds and stuff and um the thing i say is it's not really a pivot uh mm. if there's a venn diagram of storytelling and hypnosis it's practically a circle and and i say that because when i was uh, the the way that i have kind of jumped into storytelling uh, was uh, like what I would call Campbellian storytelling. So, so Joseph Campbell, which uh, most people have heard that name, he described storytelling on a structure he called the monomyth, which was a big circle and it was divided right down uh, the middle, divided horizontally. Top half was uh, the known world, the conscious world. Bottom half was the world of adventure or the subconscious. And he had a line dividing it, which he called a threshold. And um, I kind of realized, you know, that really is what hypnosis is about. You have your, your conscious life and your subconscious life, and they're divided by a line. It's not, the, it's not called the threshold. It is a threshold, but it's actually called uh, the critical filter or the critical factor. And so um, whereas in, in the monomyth, in Joseph Campbell talk, what carries you across the threshold is supernatural aid or a mentor or a guide. Uh, in hypnosis, what carries you across uh, the threshold of the critical factor is your imagination. And so uh, if you if you lay the two things over top of each other, uh, they really map to each other like in a really eerily uh, spooky way. Um, and, and besides that, take Campbell out of it. Um, I spent decades helping people understand what their story is and mm -hmm. considered that very helpful because that was a roadmap. It was handing people a roadmap to their life. But then I realized, what if they don't like where the roadmap goes? What if you don't like how your story ends? And I know of no quicker, more successful, easier way to change the direction of your story than hypnotherapy. Yeah. Now, uh, Bringing this back to connect it more with with Joseph Campbell, uh, which you did quite well. But can you take a moment? You mentioned the monomyth. You know, can you talk about exactly what that is? Who Joseph Campbell was? How he influenced your previous life and your present life? I know you touched on that, but we're going to have some people out there who are poking their heads up and being like, "Wow, I'm really into mythology. I'm really into esotericism. I really love the Joseph Campbell." And there's going to be some people out there being like, "Who the heck is that?" <laughs> awesome. Well, this is this is the conversation I love. So. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to have it. Uh, I, I started out, um, not started out, but years ago when I was younger and needed the money, uh, I worked as a pastor at a Christian church. And um, it was a large church here in Lexington, Kentucky. And because it was a large church, it had a video production department. And that's how you know it was a large church because small churches rarely have video production departments. So uh, I created videos uh, at this church. And uh, when you're in video production at a church, what that basically means is you've got the big guy who's standing up front every week and he's talking about whatever he's talking about. And your job is to create content 
to support and go along with what he's talking about. And so I quickly realized, oh, my job every week is to tell stories. And so I did what uh, everyone in my generation does when they want to get good at something because I decided I need to get better at storytelling. Uh, I Googled it. And so mm. I Googled storytelling and the first name that came up was Dan Harmon. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this know that name. Dan Harmon created the television show community and the cartoon Rick and Morty is very popular right now. And so he also created something called a story circle. And this story circle was a circle with eight points on it. And if you line that story circle up with the uh, what happened in your story, you could be guaranteed to tell a technically proficient story. And I say technically proficient because um, you can tell uh, a technically proficient story about how Autoglass is made or a technically proficient story about kittens trapped in a burning building. One of those is necessarily going to have more emotional impact. So the story circle doesn't necessarily guarantee the emotional impact, but it guarantees technical proficiency. So I started setting this, started applying it to the videos I was creating, and I got really good, I thought, at telling stories. And so the more I studied uh, Dan Harmon's circle, I realized, oh, he didn't create these ideas. He's adapting the work of a man named Joseph Campbell, which Joseph Campbell didn't create these ideas either, <laughs> but he kind of brought them to... Uh, popular consciousness. So he uh, he had his own story circle, was called the monomyth, uh, whereas Harmon's had eight points, his had 17 points. So he went deep. So I started applying that to my work. So between Harmon's eight and um, Campbell's 17, I got even better at telling stories. Um, the issue came in uh, because Harmon was a TV guy, Campbell not a TV guy. Campbell was a mythologist. He was uh, the world's premier mythologist. And so he kind of studied religions and religious stories and stuff. And you can't really study what he says about stories and mythology without also kind of getting exposed to what he believes about God. And so the more I studied it, soon eventually I realized, I don't know if I believe everything that I have to believe to work at this church. Um, and so, and so here's, I, I've come to a realization in the last few months and it has resulted this story that I'm telling, I've told a million times. It's resulted in me telling this story a little differently. Uh, the way I used to tell the story was I had this crisis of faith. I went to my bosses. I told them about it. They said, figure it out. You got plenty of time. I didn't figure it out in time. They fired me. That's how I used to tell the story. I have come to some realizations about the way my conscious mind and my subconscious mind work. Um, when I started having this crisis of faith, my subconscious mind started kind of sabotaging me in my job. And it, it realized you're not supposed to be here and you're too much of a chicken shit to quit. So uh, I'm going to sabotage you and I'm going to make you so bad at this job that they fire you. <laughs> and so that's what happened. Um, and we've all maybe not heard it called by this name, but uh, Freud talked about parapraxis, which uh, we commonly refer to as a Freudian slip. Mm -hmm. But uh, Freud would say that happens in all areas of our lives, not just what we say. Uh, our, our, our subconscious, our internal life sometimes expresses itself, not just verbally, but in our actions and in our uh, the way we behave. And so I believe 
when I stopped believing the stuff I had to believe to work at this church, my subconscious, which knew I shouldn't be there, uh, started conspiring to get me fired. And so um, I, I, I got fired, thankfully. Oh, my God, thankfully. Uh, and, and no fault of those guys. This was all me. Uh, but um, I started um seeing what I could do with storytelling. And I spent some time using it in marketing. And I spent some time coaching people around discovering what their story was and helping them line their lives up with the monomyth and seeing how it all fit together. And I spent a little bit of time doing that and I loved it. And it really resonated with my heart. But um, going into this um, COVID time, like we all have, um, I kind of was like, "Ah, I don't want to, I don't want to just sit and watch Tiger King. I'm not, you know, I, I don't care about that. I want to, I want to do something different. So I started reading and uh, I, I, uh, one of the names, one of the people I discovered, which some of your audience may have heard of is Jason Louvre. And I took his magic.me course and uh, I enjoyed it. There's a lot of good stuff there, but what really got me was the concept of the Holy Guardian Angel. This idea that there is a higher, truer self that, uh, and and I, I know uh, Crowley was of two minds of this. Your audience may be of two minds of it. I don't believe it's something outside of me that I need to connect with. I believe it's something inside of me that I need to find a path to. And so I was like, that's what I'm going to spend COVID doing. I'm going to try to connect with what I believe to be my subconscious inner self, this this holy guardian angel, this higher self. And so I started doing uh, some ceremonial magic stuff, started meditating, uh, really dove into hypnosis and trying to connect with my inner self. And um, the, the night that everything clicked for me, the night that I kind of mark as, okay, this is where this got real. Um, I, I saw a video on Chevro's Pendulum which I had never tried before. And so I, I watched the video, learned how to do it. Uh, I have a necklace that's a pendulum. I pulled it off and I just started asking my subconscious questions. Uh, the first thing I did was um, I, um, you, you have to make sure you know what yes is, what no is. Okay, if the pendulum moves this way, it's yes. If it moves this way, it's no. And so I did that, made sure I knew what yes and no was. And then I just started asking my subconscious questions. Um, and it was answering and the question, the answers made sense. And so, uh, that kind of was like, okay, this, this is, a this is a legitimate thing for me, a path for me to go down. So I went down it and, um, ended up getting my, um, uh, certificate as a, as a clinical hypnotherapist, uh, started practicing and I love it. Uh, I love, and, and I, I, if people ask, um, the basis of my work is storytelling, but it's also helping other people create that rapport between their conscious mind and their subconscious mind. And I think when you help people do that, uh, their life takes a dramatic, super fast turn towards what they want. Yeah. Um, for everybody at home, if, if you haven't used a pendulum, it, it, it's pretty freaky. It works for most people. You hold it, and it's clockwise for yes, counterclockwise for no, for instance, and it'll usually start spinning. I, I remember my grandfather showing it to me when I was... Um, oh. Is that, that's me. I'm sorry. Okay, it's all right. No, it's all right. It's fine. Yeah. I can also... Okay, it's done. Okay, I can edit this part, so... Oh, I kind of like yeah. it. 
I yeah, muted, okay. I muted yeah. uh, my family's getting home. I'm so sorry. No, no, uh, no, no worries. Are you like, okay. It. It's that's like I'm keeping it in. I mean, you love, <laughs> okay. you love I'm cats keeping it in. I'm keeping it in. So, people, <laughs> people at home, enjoy the dogs. And um, if, if you want better editing, contribute to the Patreon. Uh, if you already contribute to the Patreon, then uh, we will make your name extra big in the credits. Uh, try the pendulum. It's freaky. It's cool. I remember my grandfather showing it to me when I was like six. It works for like 99% of people. Um, the other thing I'll say as well, which is, you know, not a question, just adding on, but uh, uh, like, Everybody working on this show. Hi, Jerome, our producer. Uh, I do some copywriting. I'm also, I call myself a digital professional because uh, I do do some online marketing. I've written ads. Uh, I've done just about anything that people will pay me to do. If you need somebody murdered, send me the money. I'll do it. Please, anything, <laughs> I do it. But um, for, for Harmon Story Circle, I found it remarkable for, for advertisements. For for correct, uh, you know, even very simple ones, uh, the, even simple internet ads, using that to tell the story. I actually use it more in in advertising than I do in with my fictional writing. Um, so, yeah, so that I, I can send it to you, Lainey, if you're ever doing uh, this yeah, part of your do. copywriting. Yeah, because yeah. it, it's it's pretty We're neat all and. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll try to remember to link it in the show notes. Again, donate to the Patreon. And, Patreon. and then we won't have to be copywriters anymore. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then I could do. I could do proper show notes. Uh, lady, before before I continue on, like a like a train going off the rails. Do you have anything to add? To I'm ask? really interested in what Patch is talking about here on a number of levels. Um, one of the things that I've often found very useful um, for my own self, as well as working in a pastoral capacity with people, is this notion of stories. Um, we tell stories, and um, the stories uh, may or may not be true. Uh, that's one thing that I've found. The other thing that I have found is that many people, uh, including myself at various times, might decide to start believing a story that somebody else is telling us about ourselves. And that story may not only not be true, but that story may be told in a way um, as, a, as a form of false witness in many cases, but also a, as a way of controlling another person. And I was wondering if you had, and this is, I think, particularly true in abusive relationships uh, where people are being told a story by somebody, well, you know, you're, you know, look at you, you failed all these times, you're lucky that I've stuck with you, um, or there's different ways of framing a, a person's experiences, and they're used to control others. And I was wondering, Patch, if you had any insight into that particular process. You know, what, what that does... Um that really combines the two worlds that I'm walking in right now, that mm -hmm. storytelling, but also hypnosis, because mm -hmm. when somebody uh, gives you a story like that and compels you to believe it, uh, either, either uh, in a, in an evil manner, like you describe, mm -hmm. or in a very innocent manner, it becomes a form of hypnosis. We, yeah. We, we begin yeah. to believe and kind of just walk under the power of that story. And so, yeah, just like you described, there are people who are in abusive relationships who do that. Um, I realized um, when I was a little kid, my, my parents couldn't have been more leave it to beaverish in, in their wholesomeness and the way they treated me and loved me. But they would punish me by taking comic books away. 
And so the story I started to internalize was, oh, the stuff I'm into doesn't contribute to my success. So if I got a bad grade, okay, the comic books are going away. So I'm like, oh, well, somehow those comic books are standing in the way of me being a good math student. So that was a story I became hypnotized by. So um, the, um, the, the scary thing is I, I, I have an eight-year-old or a seven-year-old. He's about to turn eight. I look at him and I'm like, how am I hypnotizing him right now? Like, what is he mm-hmm. learning about punishment and about uh, the way daddy responds to what he's doing? And so we all, uh, we all end up doing that to the people in our lives around us. I'm, you, you asked a specific question. I'm not sure if I got even close. No, you, it, it, it was really... Was, it was that was a really good answer, something that I wanted to hear about, and, exa- and those are perfect examples of how, you know, the, the stories that we're told by others or the stories that we make up are not always true, and sometimes they're used to control. Sometimes we use them to hypnotize ourselves. Um, what you know, sometimes though, I think that we some people were more likely to become attached or to form an attachment to their stories while others do not. Do you have any insight as to what it is that, why do some people perhaps externally have, or even within ourselves, why do we hook on or latch on to one story and let the other story pass us by? Sure. Um, to some degree, um, any, anything that we learn or exposed to before age seven has a greater likelihood of kind of attaching itself to us because as we're growing up before seven, our mind is what in is in what's called a theta state and this theta state, um, the, the line between reality and fiction becomes really blurred. And we're in that state because we uh, evolution is such that we have to learn to become humans quickly you know, um, horses are born within hours, they're running. Uh, some animals are born within hours, they're hunting. When babies are born, they're pretty useless for a while, you know? So so we, that theta state helps us to become useful quickly. So that's part of it. If, you, if you're exposed to it before seven, um, it's going to be locked in. Um, another thing, the language of our subconscious, which is with what you're describing, those stories, they have to take a subconscious hold. Consciously, mm-hmm. we can look at someone's behavior and say, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's, they shouldn't be doing that. They don't have the right to do that. But it doesn't matter if we do that consciously. Subconsciously, it's got its hold in it's got a hold on us. So um, what causes somebody to take a hold subconsciously is when it speaks the language of the subconscious. And there are two ways to do that. Um, strong emotion. So if something happens, there's a, there's a heavy emotional component to it or um, metaphors. Uh, if we, if we speak to someone uh, metaphorically uh, with stories uh, through their imagination, um, then we have a much, we have much more of a likelihood of affecting them. And so listening to that, you're like, well, what does that even mean? If you tell someone a story, that you're going to be able to abuse them more easily. And uh, it's not quite that, Um, you know, um, talking about um, Joseph Campbell and Dan Harmon and their stuff being helpful in marketing. It's helpful in marketing because there's a clear defined start point, conflict and end point. And um, if we can convince someone, if you do this, this will happen. And then you'll be this, then, um, 
that's going to have more likelihood to take a subconscious hold. So if I convince you, you know, if you do this, nobody's going to love you and I'm going to be all you have left. If you can make that cause and effect Mm -hmm. really clear and really sink in, then uh, that's really effective and really potentially damaging. Yeah, I mean, it's just what you're talking about with marketing there. I mean, I I know that you know people love stories. I mean, if you look at some of the best, most compelling ads online, they usually involve a story, and they 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 hold people's long form content that will hold a story. I used to, you know, I've worked in retail sales, and I was working in a tea shop. I used to be a, a well known tea blogger, and when I would just tell people this is what I use at home and how I use it, I 95% of the time I sold the item. It was just, right. you know, it, it was, that was not being, I was just being a salesperson. I was telling the, the absolute truth, but that did absolutely hook into people and, and got them to, to buy. So yeah, yeah what you're sure. saying makes, pers- you know, makes a great deal of sense. Yeah. We're, we're built to resonate with that structure. Yeah. 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 Backing up a, a little bit for, uh, for some things that both you and Lainey were saying, uh, sometimes I get let's call it mild criticism about some of our guests because it's like you're supposed to be a, a Gnosticism show and you know the people you talk to they're not talking about second century Gnosticism um, and I always say you know Lainey and I are both Gnostics there's always going to be a Gnostic perspective but I think our hardcore Gnostics at home when they're listening to you and Lainey talking about being hypnotized by stories uh, so that you don't know your true self I mean, that is the Gnostic monomyth right there, right? Sure, that we, yeah. that we are lost in a story that's not ours. Uh, we're cut off from our true selves, and we need to break out. And one of the ways that the Gnostics did was through reprogramming through their own myth, a stronger myth, a counter myth, so that you could break out of this hypnotic programming. 100%. Also, on, on that topic of going back a little bit and connecting a, a little bit closer for, for our occult heads out there. You, you mentioned the Holy Guardian Angel, and we need to do a show. I might even do a whole panel so people can just, you know, fight it out. Because <laughs> something that people love to argue about online is what is this Holy Guardian Angel? And Patch, you know, you, you touched on that. Is it a, a part of you? Is it, I don't want to say simply, but is it your unconscious, an aspect of the unconscious? Is it an archetype? Is it actually something outside of you? People love to have this argument but we won't have it right now but you said that you became entranced with this idea of making this connection to your holy guardian angel do you feel like you have made that connection that you've discovered your higher self with the work that you've been doing in some way so so you have invited me to uh throw myself on the pyre of the internet by asking that question but um, (laughs) (laughs) you know one of the things when i when i'm studying it and i'm reading one of the things that constantly is said over and over again is this is an arduous task. Uh, you know, the, the, with the Abrilum magic that you can potentially do to contact it, you have to have a house and a facing a certain direction with windows and, and it takes six months. And then <laughs> other, other people are like, no, you know, you, um, if you do this from, uh, from this particular Crowley writing, you can hit make contact. And there's a lot of different theories about, uh, how hard or easy it is, but then you see Crowley and he says specifically, it really is individual. Like whether you make contact with it or not and how you do it is going to be up to you. And so um, I really, I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to hunker down and I'm going to make an effort to make contact. And even if I don't, even if I never do the good, it will do for me. 
uh, will outweigh if I were just sitting watching, binging something on TV. So I started the process. And um, because because I'm a hypnotherapist, because I have these tools in my tool belt, um, after, after uh, weeks of, of meditating, I was like, you know what? I'm going to create a, um, a audio hypnosis to listen to, to kind of spur me towards uh, to, to invoke the Holy Guardian Angel. And so I listened to it. And, um, you know, the, the big thing they say is when you encounter your Holy Guardian Angel, uh, you're basically looking for its name. And once you know its name, then you're free to have a knowledge of it, have conversation with it. So I listened to this um, hypnosis and then um, I went to bed that night. And as I was going to bed, um, I hear a what feels to me like a Hebrew word uh, in my head. I, I'm not saying it out loud because I don't know what the etiquette is. Maybe I'm not supposed <laughs> to say the name of my holy guardian angel, but I was like, Oh, I, I like, and I heard it in my voice. It wasn't like a voice from outside me. It was in my, it was like my thought it just occurred. And I was like, Oh, I've, I don't know that word. And so I looked it up. It's actually a Hebrew word. And I was like, well, I wonder if that's it. I wonder if my holy guardian angel just told me its name. And so, um, I just kind of started doing what what you do. I started looking for synchronicities. I started looking for um, moments that felt like I was being guided towards something. And if I would see something, I would say thank you to this to this name. Um, and then uh, one day I was talking to my wife, who um, she's she's very esoteric minded, uh, but our heads work very differently. And so I was kind of telling her about all of it, and I said. I don't know if it's really it because it shouldn't have been this easy. And she was like, why? And I said, well, because everybody says it's not that easy. And she says, but doesn't everybody also say that your experience is your experience and you can't base it on other people's? And I was like, well, yeah. And she was like, well, I think the question you really have to ask yourself is why don't you feel worthy of having contacted this part of yourself? And so that question really kind of hit home. So uh, the next few days, I just kind of meditated on um, just uh, saying saying the name and saying, thank you for finding me worthy of revealing myself to you, uh, revealing yourself to me. And um, and this is, this is where the argument you mentioned um, really uh, <laughs> stands out because it's like, the is it is it something outside of yourself is it an actual angel that you're coming to contact or is it your subconscious and um maybe it's my um evangelical fear built in but i i operate on a very psychological um explanation of magic and the occult um ultimately i feel like a lot of the stuff that we seek to make contact with we seek to speak to is really inside of us and um, that fits very comfortably with uh, what I'm doing in hypnosis and how I've thought about story. And so then I ended up hearing myself ask, do I think I'm worthy to be the best version of myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an easier question for me. It's like, yeah, I'm worthy. Yeah, I, I've done some stupid things. I've done some shitty things. Uh, I screw up a lot. But yeah, I'm, I'm worthy to be the best version of me. And so since then... Um, 
you know, if, if, if we record this tomorrow, uh, you might hear me say, I don't know if it really happened or not. But for now, right now, today, when we're recording this, uh, I feel very confident that I have come into contact with the highest part of myself and it changes the steps that I take. Mm. Now, you mentioned your, that you like the, the psychological model of the occult. Do you see connections between uh, ritual and perhaps self-hypnosis and hypnosis? You mentioned doing some, some ritual work and taking this magic.me uh, uh, course. So is there any continuity there between ritual work and hypnosis? Absolutely. Uh, the, the first thing I'll say is I, I, I say, uh, and, and you repeated me correctly, I, I kind of have the... Um, psychological model that I run by, but I also also try to be very Robert Anton Wilson about it and try to be aggressively agnostic. So if, if tomorrow uh, an actual embodied holy guardian angel stands in front of me, I won't be like, oh, well, that's a part of my subconscious mind. But, uh, I, like I'm, I'm willing to accept, well, you know what? You have to reconfigure your maps because they are not accurate. So, so let me first of all say that as to uh, ritual and hypnosis. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I don't talk about this sort of thing with all of my hypnosis clients, but the ones that will let me kind of say, Hey, we're, we're about to um, establish rapport between your conscious mind, your subconscious mind, which is essentially uh, your everyday ego self and your highest possible self. And um, you can, and I, I have even um, played with the model of uh, subconscious mind, conscious mind, um, super conscious, you know, the, giving that higher self its own uh, piece of the map. Um, and so um, how much of it I talk about uh, depends on um the vibe I get from the client and what I know about them. Um, but, but one of the things that uh, Milton Erickson, who's one of the, the grandfathers of hypnosis, one of the things he used to do is before he do any hypnosis, he would give people a uh, ritualized activity to perform uh, mm -hmm. that kind of reinforced what they were going to be working on in their hypnosis. So I was working with a client a few weeks ago and I said, um, until we meet, until your actual hypnosis thing, I want you to write down every dream that you have. I want you to keep it uh, just a, a notebook by your bed. As soon as you have a dream, write it down. And we're going to talk about those before your hypnosis. And so that was, I wanted that to become ritualized for him. The idea of your subconscious is already talking to you. Now we're going to talk to it but we're not going to just blab whatever. We're going to make sure what you're saying makes sense with what it's saying. And so, um, so that, that's what example uh, Milton Erickson was trying to help somebody stop drinking. So mm -hmm. he told them to go to a, uh, a, a plant store and sit in front of the cactuses and just study and look at the cactuses. And then he comes back and he's like, well, why'd you have to do that? And he's like, well, isn't it amazing? how long these cactuses can go without a drink. Wouldn't you like to be like that cactus? And, and so just little things to kind of, you know, you know, what is ritual? It's, it's acting out what's happening inside of us in the physical world. So finding ways for the client to do that, uh, it can be very helpful. So I, I feel like, due to movies and television series and perhaps horror movies and thriller novels, uh, 
maybe there's a lot of misconceptions about hypnosis. How should the average person understand hypnosis and, and what it can actually do for them? So um, I, I think this will especially be relevant for your audience. Uh, if you've meditated, um, that's kind of what hypnosis is like. As a matter of fact, um, if, if you're driving, listening to this, don't do this. But uh, for, for John and Laney, I'll do this real quick. Uh, close your eyes. That's more or less what it feels like. Uh, it's just um, relaxation and focus. Laney, you can open your eyes now. Okay, oh, she's, oh she's, she's gone. She's eight. She's gone. She's gone. Don't make her cluck like a chicken. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but hypnosis is just um, relaxation and focus. And uh, all I do as a hypnotherapist is I guide the person to a relaxed, focused state where we can bypass their critical factor. Uh, and we do that with um, techniques like storytelling, with, um, with um, confusion sometimes. Uh, there are different things you can do to kind of make the person's mind go in its own direction while I talk to the subconscious. But, um, you know, you're talking about TV and how it uh, creates an image that we all have in our head. Another thing that does that is stage shows. Like, you know, at a comedy club, you go and there's a, there's a comedian who's going to hypnotize everybody. Um, and the thing that we talk about, uh, and I talked about in my training, was the people who get on stage to be hypnotized are usually the people that, if you're at a party, they're going to have a lampshade on their head. They're going to be having a, a good time. And so they want to be the life of the party. They want to be the center of attention. So that's not to say nothing's happening or they're just playing along, but hypnosis is all about suggestion. And some people you can suggest to, to slap your ass every time I touch my head and they're all for it. And some people are less open to that suggestion. And so that's why when at a comedy show, you'll see the, the hypnotist tell some people, hey, you know what? You'll enjoy the show more from the, from the audience. Why don't you go sit down? Um, right. Now, so, so hypnosis, it's, it's not mind control. It's, it's almost interactive storytelling with the unconscious. That's, uh, that's how I do it. it. It's absolutely not mind control. Uh, there is not a thing I could tell you to do in hypnosis. And a big thing, this will, and this used to, before I get into hypnosis, this really bothered me. If you watch a hypnosis video on YouTube and a guy says, close your eyes, and then he goes for a little bit, and then he's like, you're not going to be able to open them. I could always open my eyes. And I'm always like, well, this, is a, this, is a, this doesn't work. Um, if, if, a hypnot if a hypnotist on YouTube can actually physically make your eyes weld shut and not open, uh, that guy has some kind of strange magical power going on. When it's successful, he has just suggested to you that you can't open your eyes, and you're like, okay, I'll go with that suggestion. So, uh, so yeah, it's not mind control. Uh, it's more... Um, uh, I've already mentioned Robert Ansel Wilson. He he used to in his uh, in his talks he would do what he called guided meditations, where he'd have everybody close their eyes and he'd have them imagine something and he'd talk them through it. And he realized later he's like, I was hypnotizing people, but I wasn't comfortable saying that's what I was doing. But that's a hundred percent what it was. Um, we we all go in and out of hypnosis all day. Um, I can watching you guys. I have somebody's listening on just audio. They're not picking up on this. I can watch you guys. Um, 
and and the same for me with you guys. We have all three gone in and out of hypnosis throughout this podcast. Uh, it's it's light. It's not a deep trance by any means, uh, but their light hypnosis has been happening this whole time. Uh, in your bio, you refer to yourself as a quote unquote toolbox mystic and a quote unquote hillbilly bodhisattva. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 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 what what do both of these 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 titles uh, mean to you? Uh, so so uh, toolbox mystic, um, I, I realize, and and this is by no means uh, unusual. You know, when when you get into mysticism and you start looking at stuff, um, all of the traditions kind of map to each other very easily. And so it's really easy to jump uh, from a little bit of Buddhism to Gnosticism, to Hermeticism, to um, Campbellian storytelling, to hypnosis. They all, um, they're all kind of pointing in the same direction. Um, and so because of that, I've come to the conclusion that it's not a good idea to throw any of it away. Uh, if you have a toolbox, Keep it all in your toolbox. Uh, Mitch Horowitz, who I'm a big fan of, he and I, he's been on the show actually. Uh, mm -hmm. He describes it as radically ecumenical, and uh, I, I love that terminology. The idea that um, you you don't have to pick one flavor because there's all these flavors, and if something is useful, by all means use it. And so that's what I mean by toolbox mystic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, Hillbilly Bodhisattva. Um, I live in Kentucky. Um, I, I live in the central part of the state, uh, pretty far from uh, what those of us in the state would think of as a hillbilly. But outside of in, in Canada, you, you may think of the entirety of the state as hillbillyish. I'm um, from Chicago. Yeah. Oh, you're from Chicago. That's right. So I'm in Chicago. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> So so what's what's your in the states? What's your impression of Kentucky? Um, kind of what you just said, uh, you know, <laughs> which of course I know is not, you know, entirely true. I've been to, I've been to Kentucky certainly. Uh, but yes, you know, we, this is how we are in Chicago. I can't speak for the rest of Illinois. Illinois is a very long state. In fact, we, you know, I think we border with Kentucky when you get far down there, but we Chicagoans are our own breed of cat. Gotcha. Well, uh, that was very insulting, first of all. Uh, Terribly insulting. <laughs> no, no. It, 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 actually, it's one of those things. Talk about being hypnosis, that, you know, the kind of things that we tell, the stories we tell. Absolutely. That's one of, I think, one of our major problems in the U.S., particularly when it comes to urban-rural divide, but also the fact that states with thriving urban areas are still shuttled off into one area by those of us who, say, for example, maybe up north or in the, or in the middle of the U.S., in our in urban areas. So this is actually the kind of thing that I think has been part of the mass hypnosis that's happened in the United States, leading to a lot of the conflict that we're having. But now I'm preaching. 100%. Um, so, so hillbilly, just in reference to the way some people may think of Kentucky, but bodhisattva, uh, a term that I discovered, uh, oddly enough, not through Buddhism, but through Joseph Campbell, uh, this idea that there's a point on the monomyth the refusal of the return, where you've uh, defeated the dragon, you've atoned with the father, you have the treasure that you've gone in search of, and now your job is to take it back to the village so that you can heal everybody. But there's always a temptation. Well, what if I don't? What if I just kind of stay here and enjoy it for myself? And I don't go back to the village because those guys sucked anyway. They never accepted me. Um, but he says the real job 
of the hero is to be the bodhisattva, is to um, return to the village with the elixir, to heal as many people as you can. So, so in Buddhism, the idea that you're just about to attain enlightenment, but then you turn around and you see all the other enlightened people and you're like, well, I'll put it off until they can join me. And so um, that's, that's been one of the things that I've decided I want to define myself by, that uh, I don't ever want to, whatever form of enlightenment I attain, if I do have contact with the holy guardian angel, um, I don't want to just sit there. I want to turn around and say, you guys can have it too. Let's have it together. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, in, in, in many esoteric tra traditions, that is actually a responsibility that, you know, you are expected to, as you progress, bring along other people with you or to help to help, help to bring other help to bring other people along with you can't really drag somebody into that but you can help to bring them up um i've been involved on and off with the gurdjieff work for many years and that's actually a, a real cornerstone of the gurdjieff work is that once you achieve a certain level of awakening or you've woken yourself from sleep uh you are expected to lighten the burden of our common father by by helping to relieve that burden by working with others and, and, and waking them up as well. So, so you can tell me if we should talk about this afterwards, but um, in, in this process, this uh, during COVID process, Gurdjieff is one of the things that I've been kind of looking into and dabbling with. Sure. What would you recommend as uh, if, if you're a novice and you're wanting to yeah. uh, get into Gurdjieff, what, yeah. what do you recommend? Well, I'm going to, that's a real, that's a concept, mm -hmm. a question that comes up a lot. Okay. All right. I'm going to say, is that okay to do this here? We, oh, we can please. do that after. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. No. yeah. Go for it. Um, and so generally speaking, uh, the usual response that most people are going to have is they're going to suggest reading uh, Yuspensky's In Search of the Miraculous, which Yuspensky was one of Gurdjieff's uh, early students, although he parted ways with Gurdjieff relatively early on. Um, and then in the book that I always recommend to people from the very beginning, I always say, read The Psychology of Man's Possible Evolution. These are three lectures that Yuspensky gave. They are brilliant, they are well-written, and they really kind of point to the issue or to, to the, the critical issues of what Gurdjieff was after. Now, if you talk to some people who are anti-Uspensky, and there's a big anti-Uspensky faction within the, the Gurdjieff community, they will tell you, go right for the source. Read Beelzebub's Tales to his grandson, because they will say to you, first of all, Beelzebub's Tales to his grandson was the culmination of Gurdjieff's teaching after he abandoned his early methods, and that he intended it to be the source of his teaching going forward because he did not feel that any of his students had evolved enough to properly teach what he was trying to teach. So he created what he called legomanism and this very, very long, thick tome written with, you know, run on sentences and all kinds of new words that that was going to that book was going to be that was going to help to awaken people and make people who could not be his personal students aware of uh, of you know of what uh, he was trying to get at and hopefully wake them up. Okay. So what I put to you is this: um, for many of us, it's the beginning with the Ospinsky books because of the way they were done, the way they were written. Uh, he was an, he was a journalist, so he knew what he was doing. Uh, powerful stuff. Um, but I'll also tell you that that is a controversial recommendation. Mm 
And okay. many people would say, just start reading Beelzebub and read it in the way he told you to read it. Just read it first, first time through as a regular book. Second time through, reading it as if to another person. Many people believe that means reading it out loud. And then the third time you read it through, you try to phantom the gist of what he was saying. I okay. leave those decisions to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I asked, we've already mentioned Mitch Horowitz. I asked him what uh, what Gurdjieff book he would recommend. And I believe, he said it was an Uspensky book, but I believe it was the first one you mentioned. I'd have to go back and look. But uh, so now if, if that's true, that's two recommendations. Yeah. I, um, I feel like that's uh, that's where I should go. I'd, uh, I'd, be, I'd be delighted to talk with you if you want to get in touch on Facebook or something. We can do that. Okay. I'd be happy to talk more. Yeah, I'm feeling very selfish right now. I'm just no. uh, I've taken no, over. No, this, my... no, this is great. <laughs> We're having you know, a talk. I, I, yeah, this is this is what people want to hear, right? This is this is authentic, and you know you have this interest, and there's going to be listeners out there who are also <laughs> wanting to know the answer to that question. Uh, I will say personally, uh, I quite enjoyed the Uspensky book. I found it easy to read, uh, approachable, and I've looked at terror. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, Bishop, I will read it. I've tried. I've stared at it. Um, uh, but I, I have. It has defeated me. Someday I will come back. We so need to remember that uh, Mr. Gurdjieff was a hypnotist. Ah. And he was known particularly for his treatment of alcoholics and drug addicts. That was his primary area. But when he began his teaching period, taking on students' his teaching period, he renounced hypnotism. Although in Beelzebub, he talks about uh, Mr. Beelzebub, uh, the main character, having a career as a hypnotist, a hypnotherapist. So again, I put that to you and I'll leave you to decide what you want to do with it. You know, what's what's interesting about that is, and I, I'm, I'm like you, John, I've, I've looked at the book and I'm like, oh, and I've heard people describe it as very dense and and not not in a language that's easy to comprehend immediately. And, you know, there are books written in hypnotic language. Um, yeah. Energized Hypnosis. Um, Hyatt. Um, can't think of his first name right now. Christopher? But, yes, Christopher Hyatt. Uh, yes. If you read that book, he tells you at the very onset, like this book is not like grammatically, you're going to have problems with it in certain points. But that's that uh, Milton Erickson uh, tactic of confusion. And right. so just because your conscious mind trips on it, that's not, that doesn't preclude your subconscious mind from diving in and getting something. So, uh, if, if, if Gurdjieff was, um, well-versed in that art, then that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it does. And one of the things to keep in mind is one of many of his students were some of the best editors and writers of that era. They were modernist writers and editors. And they, he had them working on the book with him. And at one point he finally said, okay, we're sending it off to the publisher. And they said, wait a minute, it, it's, it's, no, it's not right yet. We don't have, you know, we have sentence, we have grammatical problems, we have all kinds of things. And he just said, no, it goes off now. Okay. Yeah. And Fair so I'm just, I'm just leaving that, that you mentioned that right with, with Christopher Hyatt's book. So um, yeah. there you go. Okay. Well, we are in the home stretch. We've, we we've are. crossed we the abyss. We, we, yeah. We've been telling stories and <laughs> yeah. hypnotizing so, each other. And... Yeah, exactly. And uh, getting enlightened, contacting our HCAs, learning about the Gurdjieff work. We, we, we covered it all. So uh, This has uh, been very dense material-wise, I feel like. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it is. I patch one thing. Are you familiar uh -huh, with uh, James Hillman's The Soul's Code? Love it. Love yeah, I, I, I would like to talk with you. Maybe we'll do another show on that sometime if you're interested in coming Ooh. back. 
I would yeah, love, it's a uh, very influential book. And I'd love to hear your perspectives. When, when, when I started this, this journey, um, before I got to HGA, I was very kind of enraptured with the idea of a daemon and a Gregor's and yeah. that sort of thing. And that's, um, you know, Hillman doesn't come right out. Oh, he does say daemon sometimes, daemon, but, yeah. but you never quite get the sense that he's like on board. Like he's, it, it feels very metaphorical, but I was, I was kind of looking for, all right, is this a thing? Does it live inside me? Does it live outside me? And I found that book um, extremely helpful and really fascinating. We need to get that show scheduled, uh, Deacon Jonathan. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on it. I'll go. I'll go reread to brush up. So okay, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Well, I'll read it too. So right, I, I, I shamefully, I've never read it. I had a roommate who was just absolutely obsessed with it, and oh. it's been on my list for a long time. So, uh, so we do have to say goodbye, you? unfortunately. And yeah, well, I, I wouldn't mind going all night long, to be honest. So uh, that'll be the next show. Mode, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, Patch. Where can yes. people find you if they want to be hypnotized by you, if they want your advice, if they want to interact? Uh, all of my social media is Patch Drury, P-A-T-C-H-D-R-U-R-Y. So you can go there. Uh, I also have a website, patchdrury.net. But it is very much right now just an online business card. Um, but, but the one thing I will point out, if you go to there right now, I'm not sure when this will be played. But uh, on October 1st, I'm beginning a two-week um, hypnosis challenge. You call it challenge because that's the, the word they use. Uh, but basically for two weeks, uh, I send you uh, at the beginning of each week a hypnosis audio and you just listen to it as you're going to bed every night for seven nights. Uh, first one's on uh, moving towards whatever you consider success in your life. Second one's on accessing your creativity. And so uh, those are um, board certified hypnotists designed uh, to work while you're sleeping. And if you go there, th there'll be a pop-up. As soon as you get there to petri.net, you can put in your name and address or email address and you will join the challenge and you can be a part of it. Amazing. So uh, if you love this content as much as we did, we love talking to Patch. We honestly would go all night long if it was possible. But we do have to pay our awesome studio, 99 Perspectives, the best digital studio in the world. And as you heard, uh, we are writers. We are not rolling in it. So just to break even, we do need your support. Please go to patreon.com slash Gnostic if you haven't already. And you can pitch in a little as a dollar per piece of content per month. Uh, what you get in return is all the shows early up to a week early you can get them live you get your names in the credits i am trying to think of more things to give people we don't want to put anything behind a paywall because we want to spread the light of gnosis uh so you can ho holler at me if there's something we could do for you in return for your patreon money i'll give you my phone number you can call me anytime uh if you cannot support us financially, I know that these are hard times. I've been there myself. I'm often there myself. Uh, please like and subscribe. Uh, share us on social media. Take the show and email it to somebody that uh, you think would like it. So we, we appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening to this. And uh, that's, that's it, folks. Uh, we will be back again. And this is Deacon Jonathan Stewart signing off. Bishop Laney Peterson signing off. Thank you Take guys care. so much. Good night. We love you. We're your best friends. Parasociability. Always.